Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been interviewing extraordinary people across all walks of life for the past 20 years as an unscripted television producer, and before that, as a small-town sports reporter. Each episode, I talk to talented people from the worlds of documentaries, reality television, game shows, true crime sports, and much more. If you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. My guest spent 12 years working her way up as a fantastic creative executive at NBC where she developed and oversaw such series as America's Got Talent, Ellen's Game of Games, World of Dance, and Little Big Shots after rising all the way up to SVP of Alternative Development and current programming at NBC. She got an amazing opportunity and took that opportunity in November of 2020. She is now the Senior Vice President and Head of Unscripted at Westbrook Studios, which is a subsidiary of Westbrook Inc., the media company founded by the one and only Jada Pinkett-Smith and Will Smith. The idea behind this whole thing is to empower artists to tell stories that connect with a global audience. That's a lot. It's a lot there that I just said. Please welcome my wonderful guest, Sahara Bashu. Is that right? It is right. You got All it. All right, Sahara. You're, thanks you're for being so here. What it names. Wow. <laughs> you also set me up really well there. A lot of professional things in there. I'm, I'm bound to disappoint, but so excited to be chatting. Yes. Thank you for doing this. I know you're always super busy, so I'm glad that we're finally chatting. Yes. Um, November 2020, that's not long ago at all. So you're, you've only been uh, with Westbrook for a very short period of time. How yeah. exciting is it, you know, after 12 years at NBC to have this new challenge of being on the seller side after being on the buyer side for so long? Yes. No, it, it's it's wildly exciting. It's it's very humbling at times. I'm sure you understand. It's a whole new lane. Um, but every challenge that I'm facing and every tool that I'm learning across the way was the reason that I that I sort of jumped ship. Um, I was very, very happy at NBC, loved my family there, learned so much, loved my shows, you know, uh, for for executives, even on the buyer side, I think you get attached to your series so fully and you're on them for many years. So leaving them seems like leaving your child of sorts. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but that's how I feel and not having children. Uh, those shows were my babies. But in reflecting honestly sort of in that that amount of time when the, the world ended I sort of realized I started at NBC when I was 22 years old um, a lot had changed in this industry um, a lot had changed in our growing department and I was sort of hungry for a new challenge and sort of always believed that if I didn't jump to the other side uh, to the selling sides of things I wouldn't be as strong of an executive as I would like to be as I hopefully continue to climb this this ladder. When it comes to now jumping, like you said, jumping into this new challenge and building off of what you learned at NBC, how did you approach going to Westbrook? And now you're working, you've got a little bit of pressure. You're working with two huge people like Will Smith and Jada, right? How did you approach going into this? Like, was it, okay, 
I want to come in with my own ideas and I want to approach it and bring my entire slate of ideas? Or were you like, okay, I'm going to come in and I'm going to take their brand and, and really kind of run with that. What was your approach as you go into this big, huge challenge, this next phase of your career? Totally. I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit of everything you just touched on in the fact that I came to Westbrook because I believed in, in their vision and sort of, you know, uh, not only artist first, but being a human first uh, a creative endeavor as we push forward, whether it be the stories we plan to tell in the docu world and or what we're trying to provide on the format side. So I don't it wasn't this pressure because I so much identified with what they were trying to do and felt like in in my soul, which seems like an exaggeration, but the person I want to be and what I want to create and in, in what goes out there in the unscripted world was completely in line with not only what Will and Jada, you know, effort to pursue, but what everybody that that works, you know, for them is efforting to pursue. So it was all like this Westbrook vision that I totally just latched onto and felt like I could be a driving force as they make, you know, a, a broader name for themselves in the unscripted lane. I think that's a, a great point in terms of where they're going in the unscripted lane, because it seems like now every celebrity or every athlete has a production company, right? And some sometimes it's just putting your name on something. But one of the things I admire about Westbrook, about Will and Jada is that they are heavily involved in what they do in the unscripted world. And it's kind of amazing that they have time to do that. But like Red Table Talk, Jada is incredible. And that show's had such success. Will will go do an incredible live stunt, you know, you know, in the Grand Canyon. Like, I, I love how involved they are. He was an amazing host in the Fresh Prince uh, reunion. Like, I, I am so admirable of what they do. And then the project when you first um, arrived, Amend, for Netflix, tell me a little bit about what Will and Jada that kind of push in terms of the lane that they want to go in the unscripted space. Totally. Well, I guess I, I'll answer that in, in two questions because I think it circles two really relevant things, which first off, uh, the, the family themselves, you know, Willow and Jaden as well, they're all just innately curious individuals that are hungry to learn not only about our world and the people in it, but about themselves. So the authenticity that you see that, you know, comes out on, on Red Table Talk is because they are actually learning about each other and about the other individuals they bring to the table. And that's with the goal of growing themselves and hopefully with their lessons providing the same to the viewers at home or a relatability factor that I don't think was as apparent in, in talk shows anymore once Red Table Talk launched, which I think is the, the importance of its impact. Um, and then separately, why, you know, they're willing to share, you know, when Will, you know, jumps off things on Facebook Watch and all the things in between is, is for a similar thing. They they want to be adventurous and have fun and also support that in individuals at home and, and things that they haven't done yet and experienced. The hope is that they will push others as well. Um, and so it's, it's funny because it touches this thing that I always say in, in trying to, to, to simplify, you know, what lanes we're looking to dive in creatively. Um, and that's like, we're, we're just as much hitch as we are pursuit of happiness. Um, so there's, there's the heart there's the emotion, there's the feelings, there's the growth. And then there's also the entertainment and, and the, the escapist in all of us and the wanting to have fun and live life and be free. And so everything that they support or get behind is, is in that lane, which honestly gives us so much ground uh, to play with. And then I guess, you know, separately, as we sort of 
circle what's next or what they should be pursuing. It's good that you bring up amend that I I wish I, I could take any credit for, but as you touched on, it was it was already being actioned, you know, by my amazing colleagues, David Borstein and Terrence Carter pre me arriving um, at Westbrook. Um, but it was funny because when they first brought it up to me, we were very much talking about the fact that Westbrook doesn't want to be second to bat in any category. And so when they first said to me, oh, we're, we're, we're doing a, a, a series on the 14th Amendment, we're going to send it to you. My instinct is like, you don't think there's anything that's being done on the amendments right now? Like, it's true, I, yeah. I like questioned it briefly. Um, and then they were like, no, 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 just watch it. And it was funny because when I watched it was the first week I started, so November. So it was at the time of the election that I'm taking in the, the 14th Amendment and the citizenship right. and thinking like, I know enough about it. And then obviously I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I'm learning things I never realized. I'm also, even the things I knew, I'm taking it in differently because the way that they creatively shaped that series allowed me to absorb in a more current manner than I previously had. And I, I think that was the same for viewers at home. So it, it became a thing of like, oh, it's, it's not to say we don't want to be second to bat at any category, but we do want to, we don't want to be second to bat in how those stories are told, right? Like we want to make sure we are modernizing it or stripping it away enough in order for people to actually take it in properly. And I think what's so amazing is the goal of that series was it was not only just to you know be on Netflix and have that platform and have that success in that way, but it actually was what exactly happened at the end where educational departments were asking to use amend in classrooms to help teach their students because it was so approachable in, in its analysis of the 14th Amendment. And now it exists on YouTube to just service a wider group of individuals that may not have that magical Netflix subscription. And I feel like that impact is exactly the reasoning I wanted to be at a place like Westbrook, because that end goal is something that like moves, moves mountains in our, our world and, and it efforts us in what we do next. Yeah, those types of projects to me are absolutely what we need more of. Mm -hmm. And I applaud Westbrook for producing it. And I actually do give Netflix credit for, yeah. for putting that on because there aren't a ton of buyers who have that courage mm -hmm. to, you know, put on what, what you said could be, if you just hear the log line, it doesn't sound splashy. But when you allow producers to dig in and flesh it out and come up with creative ways to make it entertaining, informational, and impactful from a social standpoint, you can have a great product there. Totally. It was right in line with, I think, you know, the whole artist first of us all. It's it, a big part of the partners we, we try to work with is trusting, trusting the artist, right? Trusting the storyteller and the talent and the creative force behind it to express the narrative that will be as an impactful as everybody wants it to be. Recently it was announced that Westbrook is doing a variety special with Will and, yeah. and that's exciting. Um, but similarly, variety specials have been done. Is this another scenario where, you, where, where you're like, okay, look, Will's unbelievably talented. He's one of the biggest superstars in the world. Let's put a spin that's specifically his on the variety special. Is that kind of the idea behind yeah. this? That's exactly what we're doing. I think it's funny because when it was announced, a lot of people were coming to me and they were like, when is it shooting? When is it shooting? Have you locked in dates for the shoot? And, you know, my, this wasn't my answer, but it, it wanted to be. It's like when it's creatively ready, like when when we have it right, when we have like 
all the powers that be, the, 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 you know, the greatest minds in the writing room and shaping what, what will be, you know, as impactful as possible. Like there's so many lanes that these, these comedy specials and variety specials have gone to in this point, you know, um, very different than I think what will 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 provide, but like Bo Burnham's most recent one inside being one of my favorites, right? And it was so intriguing and insane, but like approachable and current. And so it's it's not that because Will and Bo are very different people, but like how do we take the time to really create something that is is special and is also worthy of the fact this is Will's first time doing something like this, yeah. right? And so for him to to do it what does that mean to him? What yeah. should play out? And how do we allow for, I think, all the authenticity that, that comes out in, in all of the other things he shapes now, whether that be how he's displayed on his social platform or, you know, him dabbling on Red Table Talk, you know, this separation from not just being this epic movie star, but this like human being and now in this role in this this special and being able to have this creative um that, that really impacts people in the right direction while laughing along the way, right? You know, we have to be able to enjoy, you know, yeah. what goes on in this world in order to keep pushing along. So hopefully, as we're organizing things in collaboration with Netflix right now, and hopefully we have some great things cooking so we can surprise everyone in the very near future. Now, your background being at NBC, you know, shows like America's Got Talent, Ellen's Game of Games, big, huge formats, right? Is is that kind of side of your brain, that creative side to do big, huge formats and challenges and singing and everything? Are we going to see some of that come into play at Westbrook? Yes, you're going to see a shit ton of that. Um, that is my lane. That's what I love. Uh, live shows are my very favorite thing in the world. I, I live for the stress and the mania and the unexpected. And so I wouldn't feel purposeful if I wasn't endeavoring swings in that category. I very much came to Westbrook for the ability to work in the documentary space and to tell stories that I didn't have the opportunity to tell well at NBC just because we were franchise format based and that's what works on broadcast. Um, here in the fact that we are selling to a very wide net in the marketplace of, of, of streamers mainly, we have the ability to work with different creators and, and writers and directors that have these amazing ideas. Like I think it's been so awesome who I've had the ability to meet in the doc space and what types of stories we plan to tell. And we have a lot hitting the market in the next few months in that space, all dabbling in different areas that I think very much represent Westbrook and, and the stories we want to tell. But separately, my main goal and focus at this time is completely format driven. Um, we have a heavy slate of docs. I think, you know, that circles back to what I pointed out earlier. I think we are very much pursuit of happiness in everybody's mind and that brand existed before we existed. And so very much constantly coming to the table are amazing stories for us to tell. And sort of my goal is to balance that out with also just a lot of fun and a lot of boxes checked in, in the format realm that haven't been yet. And so what's going to come out, I would say fall, I'm hitting the market heavy um, with a lot of big formats that I hope show that we are not only developers in one lane, but also in splashy formats and that we're also going to execute the hell out of them. So it's exciting to sort of dabble in both. At Westbrook, you have projects with Snapchat and Facebook Watch and YouTube and Netflix. And, you know, if you want to find content on Roku, you can. If you want to find content on Tubi, which I still am not really sure what that is, you can. 
along with the Netflixes and the Amazons, you know, and the Apples of the world, and you have Discovery and Warner Brothers now combining to form a superpower. How are you as a creative approaching things, you know, now on the on the selling side? Totally. I mean, what's funny is I, and I'm biased to this because I am me, but like being on the buyer side for so long, I think really, really helped me. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't think on the buying side, they're always as honest about how they felt about a pitch or what they felt after. And the, the closed door. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on for one second. You're telling me that network executives aren't always honest? Yes, but they're being, they're trying to be kind. Um, but yes, they're not always honest. And I got the pleasure for over a decade of being in those um closed doored rooms and hearing the true reasons why, right? And so when um, we're developing a series and or I'm partnering and co-collaborating with someone, I think I have, you know, the, the my my backing is completely like, no, the, the buyer would think this and that and that about what you're providing because I've heard that, I've lived that, that can be, it can be the smallest reason for a pass or, or a big reason that nobody really realizes is a problem. And so that analysis of, of what we're doing has been helpful. And then I think my thought process and knowing that, and the one big thing that bothered me so much when I was at NBC is the fact that some people don't seem to realize who they're pitching, right? Like know, know our brand, yeah. know our shows, know what we're pursuing. Um, even with the merging of, of everybody, if you use NBC as a, an example, like Okay, like the, right. the you're pitching now formats and you're pitching like the doc space, but right. they're all under one umbrella. But like, even though, yes, Bravo, USA, NBC, Peacock are, are technically different, you know the NBC brand, sure. right? If you don't go into the door thinking it's Fox and you don't go into the door thinking it's HBO, like everybody still has this, this brand to them and you sort of should take in what they're putting out and not only what they're putting out, but what's succeeding for them in order to service you targeting them. And so I try not to go into rooms with any, anything that I don't think is right for that buyer. Like, I think we're very specific about the list we make and who we're targeting um, based on a specific project. And we're not just like, let's give it to everyone. It's more <laughs> like, who's our top five to six that this yeah. makes sense for? And also I think you should always have a number one while developing. I think when you're developing a series, who that's for and what platform you dream of it being on, I think is key to that development, just because you know what you watch when you're absorbing that, um, whether that be on a Netflix or an Apple or an HBO Max, you, we all turn to it, even as creators, as viewers, we all go to those different platforms for different reasons. So what are those reasons? And why would this show that you're pitching to them bring more people towards their platform? And if that's not the reason why, then why would they buy it? Um, so that was a long winded circular answer of how I'm analyzing things on this side. <laughs> because you're now, you know, like you said, you're developing formats, you're doing docs, you're doing a lot. How far along, you know, are you, are you in the situation where you treat things like a machine gun in terms of you want to start, you want to pitch something every week, or are you more like, let's get a sizzle reel done. Let's get a deck. Let's get this packaged up and then we'll take it out. Like is your philosophy quantity, quality? Like what is your kind of strategy when it comes to pitching? Well, it's, it's definitely not the like, let's throw shit at the wall and see what sticks, which I think is how a lot of people go at. Like, let's just develop as much as possible 
even if it's kind of ready, I'll, I'll push it out the door. Um, but I think of being a buyer that experienced a lot of decks that you're like, who looked at this? Or sizzles <laughs> where it's like somebody will pitch you a show, like the amount of times I was pitched a music show and it was just all America's Got Talent footage in it, but they were telling me why it's different than America's Got Talent. And you're like, did you even, what what's going on? And so in that, and not to say, I'm sure I'm gonna like kick myself for the fact that I'm going to go out the door with something of that kind of, at some point, but I, I'm trying to effort quality in order to service also Westbrook's brand. Like we're just yeah. building, we're a startup. I think what we first put out there and what sticks means a lot. I think what amend represents is one box checked and everything. And even the announcement of the variety special is a box checked. And we have a few more upcoming announcements that I think will, will very much be blatantly Westbrook and everybody will feel that upon their announcement, but it's, it's quality for sure. Uh, that's why I haven't been in that many rooms yet. I mean, I haven't been out on the selling side, uh, that long, it's eight months now. And a lot of that was developing. Um, but I've only been out to market with two series thus far and a lot upcoming, but that's because we were, we were taking the time to get it right. You know, yeah. uh, we want what people take us in as to be accurate in the quality of, of the programs we plan to create. And we feel that the sizzle and deck should match what we imagine the series to be. And that is stylized and, and premium and quality. And so if what we're providing and resources isn't the same, how could you trust what we're, we're efforting in the future? So, so people shouldn't pitch survivor meets uh, America's got I mean, that might be a show actually. Nobody's ever pitched me survivor. <laughs> <laughs> take all the contestants of AGT, put them in the woods and see what happens. Got talent, champions, extreme, survivor, big brother. Wait, yeah. hold on. But they, we should throw in some dating in there too. Just oh, yeah. like, like they've got also had, they also had to date. We might as they well. They have to be in pods and then try <laughs> to date blind. But they're <laughs> the people on their other Yes, side. they also have to be blindfolded. And then also no sex very too hot to handle <laughs> nobody can have sex in this situation yeah. and if they do a little siri box is going to talk and give them warnings so it's going to be crazy in this series we just we shouldn't yeah. air a portion of this because this is a show i'm yeah sure of it i'm sure i think we i think we just came up with the the, the greatest or the worst show both both ever. isn't that usually how it is the yeah yeah all at once yeah Agreed. i'd watch it <laughs> yeah, I th I think I would watch that. Yeah. Yes. What is the like the biggest thing that you learned on the network side that you have taken and put into play on now on this side? Like whether that could be okay, never use this in a deck or never put this song in a sizzle reel. What are the things that bugged you to death on the buyer side that you are now like I will never make that mistake? as a as a seller i think there is a a reputation for the buyer side that like buyers are busy with nothing right like that that they're not like they're not as busy as they say and like i'm very aware of all that they're working on right and so i think there's this mentality where they're surprised when they don't respond on a pitch or like they didn't get back to them in time or they're taking too long and i think i am coming at it from my knowledge on the buyer side of possibly loving something. And then a, a bunch of shit explodes on all my series. Right. And I forget to respond or I don't follow up or whatever it means that like 
in coming to the selling side, I'm trying to have a lot more patience and, and understanding and be thoughtful with, with my follow-ups. Also more direct with, when getting feedback, there's this divide that can sometimes happen through agent representation, which we're so lucky to have amazing agents on our end. But like sometimes yeah. I just want to call and hear myself what happened, right? And yes. also the buying side, I appreciated when a producer of a series reached out to me and wanted to hear the feedback or wanted that. And although when I think I get more on my plate, I won't be able to do that as often as I, I start out and sort of learn my, my lane on the selling side, I want to make sure that I'm having those conversations and being understanding to their circumstance and also reading the room a little bit. Like, I think it's weird when it's very obvious in a room that somebody doesn't like a pitch and then everybody's like, but we're going to keep, we're going to keep doing it. We're going to get them. I think it's right for them. It's, it's, we don't get to decide what's right for the buyer. The buyer decides if we're right, right for them. And I know that can be hard, right? Nobody wants to be the one that's dumped in the end when they're, they're trying to gain someone's attention, but at the same time, it is what it is. So I think in short, what I've learned is acceptance, patience, and, and, and thoughtfulness in, in approaching and understanding the circumstances that we're, we're all in. Yeah. I think those are three good things. Acceptance, patience, thoughtfulness. Is there a tell that every network exec has when you know they've passed is there something that you can always tell? It's so hard now because we're in the Zoom land, right? Oh, and right. It's, it's like a different beast of like, I really miss, like, I can't wait. I haven't pitched yet in real life, right? Like, right. I can't wait to be in the room with people and go <laughs> to like read them better and also like play off individuals in order to give the best yeah. pitch. Um, I'm trying to think back. I think it's, it's oftentimes good or bad but it's the locking eyes of the execs in the room so like like what like if you're pitching two or three execs mm -hmm. the point in the pitch where a moment will happen that's either wildly stupid and you see <laughs> that hold of locking eyes yeah. and or there's something that like they've been looking for for a really long time and they yeah. lock eyes and what's hard is you don't know which one happened unless you're self-aware <laughs> enough to know what just played out in your own delivery but often yeah we're pitching we all know we're not even hearing ourselves we're just checking the boxes but i feel the tell is locking eyes it's just what is that telling or two conflicting things yeah yeah when you were at nbc best pitch you ever heard yeah. worst pitch you ever heard i actually have two best pitches and both of which i had no control over moving forward with uh the first best pitch i heard i was actually still an assistant and it was catfish it was when the film had come out and we went to see it before it was actually aired. And we went to our movie theater and watched it and it was to pitch it as a series. And obviously existing on NBC, it would have been a complete right. different thing. Yeah. But at the time, it just felt like something. Yeah. And I recall very vividly Brandon Reed, who now runs Netflix and also sure. Dick Broom, who's now leading the charge at NBC Formats. They both were obsessed with it too. And I felt like that was my first point of reference where I felt like, oh, I'm going to sort of shape my existence as an executive after these two individuals because our instincts were the same here. And we didn't move forward for many reasons that I wasn't privy to because I wasn't allowed in those closed door rooms at that time. Yeah, sure. Um, and I don't know that it would have worked as well on NBC as, as it did on MTV, MTV. Right. but it had that thing where you're like, this is a thing and this is happening. And I think uh, I was a journalism major. So there was that like journalistic quality to it where it's like, man, yeah. we need to investigate the hell out of this and see how much this is happening. And 
obviously it was happening then, still happening now somehow, even in the world of FaceTime and such. And it's also a word we all use now, right? Oh, yeah. It was amazing when that pitch happened. And then secondly, it was unfortunately right after we had the the series Ready for Love. I don't know if you remember that on NBC. It was oh, a, yes. That was, a, was that, wait, that was um, Ava, Ava Longoria. Yeah. Ava Longoria, yes. I have plenty of um, wonderful stories that I've heard about that one. Yeah, no, it, was, it was a hard show to make, but like it was wild because our experience in shooting it, we were always entertained, right? I think we just threw a lot at it. And obviously it, it, it unfortunately ended up being canceled. But right after its cancellation, we were pitched, are you the one from the, the great gentleman over at Light Lighthearted? And yeah. that was the first time I had heard a pitch for a relationship show that had that many elements of innovation within it that allowed right. the beats within the series to be its, its most purposeful, right? Whether it be the truth booth reveal that happens halfway through, which gives somebody to look forward to and or the end result where you find out how many of the matches are sitting in the right place. It was so gamified and also mm-hmm. with the matchmaker of it all that I was obsessed. But unfortunately, because we had just canceled Ready for Love, swings in the love space just didn't seem right for us at that time. And honestly, even with formats we found to be better than than obviously audiences did no relationship formats were really working for nbc at that time and so we were like i don't think people want this from us it's interesting that was my long so the two best pitches i've ever received (laughs) the two best pitches are the one good didn't make the air yes (laughs) i know which is complicated right um but i really really love those pitches and believed in them um some may say they both ended up in mtv so yeah. I was at the wrong place for a really long time. No, I'm I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> honestly, uh, I think I was also in that DNA. I was young too. So maybe that's why I was driven towards them. And I wasn't in some of the magical pitches that happened with us. I yeah. wasn't in the voice first pitch because that was a whole traveling to get the format type sure. above my pay grade. Sure. Um, I wasn't in the Ellen Game of Games pitch because that was a phone call. I wasn't in the little big shots pitch. A lot of some of the biggest, best shows I think I had the opportunity to work on honestly just happened. And then it was like, we're, we're developing this amazing right. thing. And I jumped in. Um, so I got to be privy to a lot of amazing series right out of the gate but I wasn't in the the initial pitch to hear them. The worst pitch, honestly, I don't remember what it was called, but I was pitched something once where it, and it it obviously never aired. And it it leans into the thing I was saying earlier about know your audience. We had this pitch that literally had the people cursing all up and through it. And then an actual like sex session in the sizzle of the pitch or a reality show. Like literally, like they well, were I don't having... know if we're actually showing them. It was like one of those like cutaway. So I don't know if they did a fake like shoot for it. It didn't seem like it was from another show. It was just a weird, like very inappropriate, like salacious direction to go for a pitch. And it's like, have you watched? Like this is this is the home of this is us. We don't right, yeah, exactly in line with us. Also, like, is this a show that one should be making it all on any? It was just all over the place and it was so off brand for us that I remember just being like, what, what happened? So yeah, so that would be the worst one, but many, you know, a lot of complicated, messy pitches come through the door that you often question on the buyer side. How did it get to this point? Um, From trust, sometimes it's people you are really, really good at creating series too. And I think, and adding to another thing I've learned is I think in coming to the selling side, 
just as much as I just reflected on, I think sellers don't realize how much buyers have on their plate. I think buyers very much don't understand how much sellers have on their plate and the abundance of what's coming through the door and trying to take the time. Like even now, as I said, as I'm trying to make everything quality that we sort of bring to market, that takes a lot of time yeah. and all these different shows and we it still does. want to get enough out the door. So it's taking like numerous passes at things to get them ready in order for somebody just to say, no, which is a lot. And I don't think I reflected enough, although I, I tried to be as much of a like producer friendly executive when I was on that side. I don't think I fully understood how much effort went into getting to the point of being in front of NBC and that I just I wish I wish we could do like a swap live situation where sort of everybody had to be oh. in the person's shoes briefly because I yeah. just think in the jump and being on both. I just learned so much. And I think it helps. It helps on either side to yeah. know the person you're partnering with and all that they have to deal with on a regular basis. And that would only help our creative goals be that much more better achieved if we sort of understood each other to the depth that I hope I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, when I produced Extreme Makeover Home Edition, mm -hmm. one day every season, we would have a switch day. So producers, would pick up a camera or really? camera would run audio or, and then like camera would produce only for a couple hours. Like yeah. we would do it, but it would always remind us how heavy those cameras are oh my God. or how hard, how heavy those, those audio effects are. 100%. Yeah. No, it's a wild. I think on this side also, obviously I'm, I'm in the field getting my hands dirty a bit more. And there's been those moments where you're just lugging stuff around and running the streets with everybody and these cameramen and these cameras on their shoulder. And you're just like, my goodness. And we're like wanting them to get content. And it's like, imagine trying to chase this crazy contestant with this giant oh, yeah. thing on your shoulder on. And it's like your 11th hour of the day. No, it's everybody to that point crew adding them in there. If we only experienced what the crew does on a regular basis, I can't imagine how much our minds would be blown and what they do and pursue in the order. Yeah. And um, I look forward to like in a year when we talk again and you're yeah. getting notes yeah. from the network, like <laughs> make it funnier. Yeah. Then we can talk because yeah. those make, are the Make best. it pop. Why <laughs> We need this scene to pop a little bit more. Um, we need to see it pop a little more. Oh, I, I, it's funny because like I can hear myself sometimes when people ask what, like I'll talk like a network still. And then I'm like, oh, I'm being wildly vague. Um, <laughs> how do I make this actually specific? So it's been a learning curve for me to, to be more in that, but also in, in defense of the buyer, it's because they're working on so many shows, right? Like they're, they can't yeah. take the time to think of this specific note, even though I did try to be less vague in my notes approach. No, I'm terrified of the moment I start getting notes from the <laughs> network. Also in the fact that I haven't experienced, like you created this thing you're so proud of, right? And you deliver yeah. it in the edit and you took all this time on it. And then they give you like 10 pages of notes that start yep. with, unfortunately, we don't love this. And you're like, Gah, I die in this moment. No, I, I'm mentally prepared for it though. I feel like I've been training for that, that hit. So I can only be pleasantly surprised because I'm expecting the worst. Literally, you you grew up at NBC. I mean, you literally got your your TV education, which is pretty unique, like in our world. 
uh, to kind of start as a page and then kind of really you worked your way up, which is awesome. I think, you know, to go from like coordinator and manager, VP to, you know, to SVP to really work your way up. Talk to me a little bit about the lessons that you learned at a network, you know, the opposite of what I did kind of coming up as a freelance producer. Totally. I mean, I think one thing I learned very quickly is know what you want to take from the people above you and what you don't, right? Like, I think there is this uh, approach of learning who you are as an executive. And too many a times do people sort of like copycat or, or try to do whatever, whoever's around them and how, how they handle things. And it's more like, oh, I love that that you do from this person here. And I actually like how this producer talks about this. So I'm going to sort of absorb that. And so it's learning from the bodies that actually inspire you and not thinking you have to fit into this box of what an executive is. I think when I was first, you know, climbing the ranks, I, I had this thought process, especially in the corporate world of like, is this for me? Like, I'm not, I'm not a very corporate human. I, I don't want to like sit in long meetings and talk about nothing. Like I want to be creative. I want to make amazing content. I want to dig in with folks and like brainstorm and do all that stuff. And can I be this individual and also speak, you know, my opinions freely and still be accepted and just, and disagree with the boss and still be in a good place. And luckily in my growth, I was in a, a place where I think disagreements were almost requested, right? Like they wanted you to have the ability to, you know, stick to your guns and have an opinion. And with that, that sort of just launches me into the fact that I think remembering at all times that our careers are based off of opinions and not facts is how you best succeed. Like in no way, if somebody disagrees with you, does that mean they were right? This is an opinion driven business. We are creatives. We are hoping for the best and leaning with our gut. And oftentimes, hopefully it's right. But there is no, if you give something, if you think something's a good idea and somebody says, no, it, it doesn't mean that's right. It doesn't mean it won't be in a couple of years. You know, I think everybody's telling, telling the story of Queen's Gambit and how that was pitched over and over again. And now look at the success, but it's like, it's so many things. It's timing. It's, the actress, it's who's put into it. And of course I use a scripted example instead of an unscripted example, but you know what I'm saying? There is this belief in yourself and your opinions and how you've absorbed this, this marketplace and what's out there and, you know, trusting in that. And then also taking from the, the, the guiding lights that surround you, what is best to, to help you move up this, this ladder, which it, it isn't easy, you know? And it also, I don't think it's easy for anyone you know everyone I think sort of looks at like oh she was at NBC and how lucky it was for her to stay and like climb but I had other job offers most of that time that was the reason for my promotion like it wasn't like hey I'm sitting there and somebody's like I should promote you tomorrow like that's not (laughs) that's not how this business works like you, you have to be willing to look look elsewhere while also being confident in what you've learned and where you are and hopefully you know make the right decisions at the right time but it's all about I think hustle and and trust in yourself. Was there a moment at NBC that you feel like was a really key to kind of evolving your career, taking your career to kind of that next level? Well, I would say that the moment that if if I'm just going with my gut, the first thing that came into my head was the first time I like owned a night. So when Tuesday nights on NBC were two hours of America's Got Talent into one hour world of dance and that being like, 
a big deal, right? And as we know in the the previous broadcast wars, uh, winning the night is huge, um, especially in the summer. And you know, we hadn't had the best time, I believe, times a blur. But like with that slot previously, like usually we're handing the night over after AGT success uh, that evening, and to have World of Dance follow it and do as well as it did in the beginning was a big deal. And I remember it most because I think that was the first time Bob Greenblatt ever emailed me directly. And, you know, when you're climbing and you hear fr from the chairman, it, it means a lot to you, especially after you know how much like work you tried to put into making the shows as, as great as they could be. And it was important to me because stage shows are my favorite thing, music shows of any kind. So to have a night of that that did well, because it's a guessing game, right, was important. And hearing from the people I respected in, in awe of, of what had happened was was important. So I would say that was my moment where I felt like, oh, they know I can do this now, for lack of a better description. Like if you if you if you tell me I have this, I'll I'll make it happen. That's great. I love that. I always say that a pat on the back or a thank you goes a long way. Totally. And there are very, you know, those are things that we tend to take for granted, but it really is true. Yes, especially within our, you know, in our field of work, we give far too much of ourselves to these jobs. So that little bit, I think, goes a long way. And I definitely, as I've, I've climbed, I've tried to make sure that the people that work with me know how much I care about what they're, they're doing and support them and appreciate them at every turn. Because, you know, as we touched on earlier, we're all in this crazy thing together. You know, you love the live shows and you love dance and music shows. Now, those are all shows that are unpredictable and the craziest and, and wildest things happen. Is there a moment on all these shows that like are is unforgettable for you um, that you saw like right in front of your eyes? Yeah. I mean, all of them that flashed before me are all the wonderful America's Got Talent because of how much dangerous activities we do. But the one that stood out the most was we had this act where, um, like, I forget what they're called. They're like the acts that do gross things, like stick a needle through their nose and they shoot things at each other and whatnot. And there was a moment where the gentleman of the group had a dartboard like in his mouth oh. on live television and oh. his a partner, she was meant to shoot a fiery arrow that hits dead center in this board and lots of rehearsals, nothing ever went wrong. There was honestly like no flaws to this. And then on live television something went wrong and when she shot it, it the arrow shot him straight in the neck oh my god the flaming arrow on live television i mean you can look it up it's it's everywhere still and everybody was in shock but what was wild is i think because everybody's in like operational mode like the judges just went into like judging like we sort of like, <laughs> put it down they collected themselves and it was like no like the world is ending we got to wrap this up and then you know, Simon sort of took the reins and wrapped it up. And then we went to break and he was fine and everything was good. But it was, you watch your own life flash before your eyes. Like, I can't imagine for the producers, right? At that time, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just the network. But for them, it's almost, it's like your entire career. Everything is, is like the show is, you just look what you did. And he was okay. He went to the hospital and nothing was actually wrong. And obviously for the guy, he Stuff like that happens to him all the time, right? He's been sure. back. But to us, it was like, we just shot this man in the neck with an arrow on live <laughs> television. Um, and we're just carrying on with the series. 
and there was knock on, I'm like knocking on all kinds of wood now because I do love those shows and the fact that anything could happen, it does leave you into sometimes moments of, of fear. <laughs> but that's part of the reason people watch. Yeah. It's you know? real too. At least you know, like, like this is really playing out in front of you. Look what happened. It's 100%. Crazy. 100%. So we're recording this on July 13th and Emmy nominations came out. You know, obviously there's a zillion Emmy nominations, but what were some of your favorite shows, some of your favorite performances uh, of this year? As everybody did, loved Mare of Easttown. Kate was fantastic. I think yep. one can question uh, her ability to, to pull off that role and the relatability, but like, I've never been so stressed out watching anything before. <laughs> um, it was really, really phenomenal. Yes. I think the undoing was amazing. And I feel Other like- Other than that, the final episode. Well, yeah, don't, I know. Like, I like to tell everyone, you know what? Let's just forget about it. Like, <laughs> we, we honestly, we, we put too much pressure on people to like, we, have, that was eventized. We were all watching that together. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the rare times I feel like all of us were gathered around a platform, like live tweeting, talking about something on the edge of our seat. Yes. Was that finale an epic failure? A hundred percent. I mean, Nicole flew up on a helicopter, like next to a bridge to like jump out to whatever he was doing with the kid at that time. It was, there were so many flaws. Obviously we wanted a different ending, but at the same time, how dope is it that we all got together to like talk that and experience that. And also when you set someone up that much, you're bound to fail. It's like everybody now with Game of Thrones, like we all talk shit about it, right? With that last season. Yeah. It's like, what about the years and years and years right. of the time of our yeah. lives? Yeah. Like we put a lot of pressure on the creators to like satisfy our own personal needs when it's sometimes it's just like, but did you have fun? And it's like, yeah. It's actually, it's a good point. It's about enjoying the journey along the way. And okay, so one episode was bad. It's the same thing as the Sopranos finale. Yeah, People like say it was the worst finale ever, but the other seasons, like the seasons getting up to that were great. So yes, totally. I, I understand. I also like, would rather ahead. that happen than I feel like there's too much now that I hate where people in watching television are like, I'll be like, oh, I didn't really like it. And they'll be like, oh, just get to the fifth episode. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. The fifth episode, five hours of my life before I know if I like it. And then it ends two episodes later and they'll be like, yeah. the ending was great. Like, I'd rather the reverse. I'd rather enjoy the whole thing in the last episode you fail me than I have to yeah. build up to one good moment that comes at the very end. So I think we have it a little backwards sometimes when we talk about our scripted show. Oh, yeah. That's like my friends who keep who have insisted for years that Mad Men, it, you just got to get through the first season. I'm like, it's slower than molasses, uphill. I cannot deal with Mad Men. So they smoke and they drink. That's the show. That's and it. they're good looking. They're pretty good looking. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, and, and that's it. That's the show. They smoke and drink and they're good looking and they treat each other terribly. Yeah. I'm like, that's the show. And they're like, no, you're just not giving it a chance. I. So, yes. It is I, that. And speaking of treating each other terribly, I would say the last series I also was Succession. Like I uh, question <laughs> the ability of Succession to move mountains and entertain us with the most vile characters we've ever yeah. displayed in front of us in life yes. it was amazing yes they, they are horrible 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 human beings. horrible and then uh, unscripted who who did they even nominate doesn't matter because 
the same one <laughs> every other year. <laughs> okay, so no, that is something it's fair to discuss. For casting, reality casting, my friend Mindy Zemrek, who was on podcast for shark tank she was nominated and so i was i'm very happy for mindy world of dance got a choreography nominated Did it? okay there's so many there's so, there's so many, many the, so many lanes yeah. that i didn't even know existed where they're I like, okay, so. a, <laughs> like i don't know like okay so outstanding structured reality program which formatted antiques roadshow which I'm still, I've still never seen an episode. Um, I have back in the day, not recently okay. though. I still have not seen an Where episode. Does it, is, is it still on like PBS or something? P Where does PBS, it yes, still on PBS. Yeah. Property Brothers Forever Home on HGTV. Mm -hmm. Queer Eye, which has won, you know, I, was it three years in a row? Maybe more? Four well, it's years? fantastic. Like I get it. The, yeah. One of the uh, best reboots ever to be seen in a while. Running Wild with Bear Grylls on Nat Geo. Mm -hmm. Used to be That's on NBC. Yes, used to be on NBC. I'm a little surprised by that. That's interesting. That's an interesting one. That is a, I think that's the first time that one's been nominated. Yeah. And then a per, another perennial Shark Tank nominated mm -hmm. for an Emmy. Unstructured. So, you know, doc series and that and, and whatnot. Becoming on Disney Plus, executive Produced by the one and only LeBron James. Below I'm Deck. The directors on Becoming are fantastic. And Below Deck, that's amazing. That's yeah. phenomenal. Wow. I didn't Bravo. know that was in there. People love Below Deck. Like, live for it. I'm more a Vanderpump Rules gal, um, but people live for Below Deck. Live for it. Now, my friend Nadine Rajabi does Below Deck Mediterranean. Okay. So I'm going to have to side with Below Deck Med. Okay. But still, the franchise is pretty incredible. It is. It's good. Indian Matchmaking gets a nomination. I I have not seen that one, but I watched wow. it when it launched. It got a lot of when it first came out the gate. It got a lot of attention, and then it was one of those things where then we're pitched every different version of matchmaking that exists. Like yeah. next day, once it was successful, yeah, um, it was really good. It was nice. It was like a nice sneak peek into cultural values, and then also how relatable and consistent it is in certain categories with dating lifestyles and then how flipped on its head it is in other categories. And if we should approach that differently and how we daily date, you know, who knows? Interesting. Okay. I, I have not seen that one. I will have to give that one a chance. Selling yeah. Sunset. That deserves Ooh. it. I'm, have you watched Selling Sunset? I've, yeah, I saw it like first season. I watched like the pilot episode. I'm going to say the thing that is anti what I said earlier. Which okay. Is, like, because season two is so much. <laughs> it's like, just get through the first season and then. Okay, <laughs> Sahara. I, I know. I just did the opposite of what I sold. But like, it, the reason I say that is because that's what happened to me when I watched the first episode of Selling Sunset. And the, that type of show is like my favorite as a viewer. I yeah. wasn't invested. And then okay. all my friends were like, just get through the first season, which I hate when they say that. But they were right. Like season two is... Like I would watch season two again. I'm actually wow. again. Like that's how entertained I felt I was by it. Like it very much in line with, you know, Real Housewives at it at its best. In, okay. in, in that is a glowing endorsement. And yeah. kudos, uh, Kimberly Goodman, another friend of mine, executive producer on Selling Sunset. Outstanding competition. This is a uh, 
your area of expertise. Of course, the perennial Amazing Race nominated. Nailed it on Netflix. That's good. Uh, I yeah. love it. Some great then, there. Always, they've won multiple seasons. RuPaul's Drag Race, mm-hmm. another perennial favorite. Top Chef, a perennial, always up there. The Voice, mm-hmm. also nominated as well. And they deserve it. Oh, Audrey yeah. Marcy on that team, man, she's like one of the best there is in show running abilities. And that, you know, that show changed what music television was for a really long time. So they deserve the credit. I, I wonder, we'll see who wins this time. It's, it's anybody's guess. It I actually hope, I hope it's nailed it. No offense voice or any. Really? Yeah, because like, honestly, I, I'm just really a fan of silliness and also leaning into what, what reality is and the fun it can be. And okay. it is a blast watching that series. Like it is just, and you would never guess it. Like on no, paper, yeah. I would think, what is this, right? Right, so that's yeah. Hot on Mass Singer, right? And nailed it, you can just keep watching it. It's so bingeable and addicting and Nicole Byers is amazing. She's great and host, yeah. The distance they find, I don't know. It's just a little bit of everything in all the best ways. And I just, wildly respect their comedic take and that the, it probably took a lot to move that across the line and say this will be a show and so i respect it and i also just want new things to win in this emmy lane we live yes. in yes I, I completely agree with you and i that's why i really like to see some new shows like indian matchmaking below deck it's great oh. to see some mm-hmm. some shows that are getting recognition yeah. well they're, they're they seem to be and i'm just deciding this off of, of reading through all those, but like listening to the viewer a little bit more in their nominations. Yeah. Like I always felt like the, the Emmy panel or the powers that be there are sort of structuring this based on what they know. And that's why they started 20 years ago versus like in this case, yeah. it, it's like, no, what's fresh. Let's talk about people are obsessed with below deck. People love yeah. telling sunset and like nailed it is like key in like the zeitgeist of what like was like our food show, even though it's like terrible. Yeah. So it's like, why not listen to the people and what they want and are entertained by and who wins? This, this is for the, I like how I said for the people. And I for the people. Selling Sunset Nail. Yeah. Million dollar exactly homes. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That uh, none of us can afford. Yes. Yes, exactly. But entertaining characters, you know, and that's part oh, of yes. Yes. All right. So let, I always like to finish up with recommendations for what to watch or what to read. You mentioned earlier on too hot to handle. I just finished season two. Uh, look, um, look, I don't watch dating shows, but too hot to handle is like my guilty pleasure. (laughs) It's Uh, so good. So good. And here's the thing. It's funny because when season one came out, it was still in the midst of the end of the world. Right. And I literally watched it all in one weekend. Yeah. I was addicted to it, but I was also like, do we not have to have formats anymore? Like, like nothing was structured in season one. Right. Um, and yeah. so I was hopeful that like, man, this way in was perfect, but like season two, think of the magic you can do. And yeah. they did it. They found these amazingly crazy characters. Things happened in that, that you cannot write. Like when that cockroach hit that man in his <laughs> that I could literally watch over and over, over and, and over again. It's the best yeah. thing. It was um, so gigantic. For people who have not seen Too yeah. Hot to Handle, you have to watch it just for this moment when a cockroach hits one of the contestants in the face. It's mm-hmm. it's gold. 
totally dream. it's it's gold and the sound effect that you know <laughs> so keenly added on to that splat onto the forehead yeah wonders so yeah watch you out to handle in the cockroach i would be crazy not to say watch amend on netflix obviously yes I feel yes. passionate about it, and it checks a very different box than a cockroach it, to the forehead in hey, programming. We, we got to balance things out. Got to balance it out. You got to learn a little bit, grow a little bit, and yeah. then watch the crazy. I am completely obsessed with Siesta Key. It's you know really? leaning back okay. into Viacom love. I'm mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's for everyone, um, but there is something about that group of people where they cannot yeah. help themselves, which is my favorite like reality type folks yeah. where. You, you leave them alone long enough, they're gonna do something wild because it's just in them. And yeah. it's, it's magical to watch. You know, I loved Cruel Summer on Freeform, which is random, um, but it was okay, wild. I've never seen that one. It's addicting in the way that like, it's weird to compare it to The Undoing, but it's like a little bit of a mystery and you're sort of trying to figure it out the whole time. Um, okay. I think they actually did a good job in the, the ending of it all. A lot of people were talking about it uh, and I enjoyed it because it was like, you want to watch it that night, which I think is so rare because yeah. he's going to text you and ask you if yeah. you watched it or not. And then I'm going to jump out of TV for a second and just dive into the magic of seeing Black Widow and seeing Marvel in theaters again. Uh, that was an epic experience for me. That was just this last weekend to be yeah. back, you know, after sitting and loving all Marvel put on Disney Plus with WandaVision you know falcon and then into yeah. now we're watching loki yeah it was amazing but then the magic of like marvel in the movie theater yeah. hadn't happened in so long and it was something i never thought i would experience and then seeing it being especially their their main woman hero on that screen in black widow it was epic and also marvel just can't be beat wandavision was also one of the best tv experiences i think i had over this break so that's I guess that's my very all over the place watch list. Those are all good. And yes, I enjoyed being back in the theater and, and seeing Black Widow. It was, right? Yeah. You I know, like, started crying. It was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I did not cry. However, there was something, there's like my heart was full. Yeah. That, you know, like something felt right just being back in the theater, all the explosions and like just it felt felt right. And then I guess to, to close, I would it would be weird of me, even though we don't have an air date, everybody should hold tight for Bel Air on Peacock from my scripted colleague. Oh, the dramatized okay. version of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, which is going to be epic. So stay tuned for that one. That's exciting. Which actually, what's your favorite TV show of all time? From a sitcom standpoint, I, I go back and forth. Seinfeld. Um, and The Office have always like a battle between the two of them. And then Breaking Bad from a drama okay. standpoint. Got it. What about you? Probably the two dramas are tied. I would, the first, I, I would say the OC that sort of re-approached how I saw television. The fact that it was Josh Schwartz and he was so young and yeah. I will die on my sword for that being one of the best pilots of all time. And then second is Dawson's Creek. Uh, I think Kevin Williamson is a genius. <laughs> My uh, license plate cover literally says I'd rather be watching Dawson's Creek. Uh, wow. It was a gift from um, Shelby Chappell at NBC. And I would always rather be watching Dawson's Creek than anything I'm doing. But no, love for Kevin Williamson and his ability to take on teen dramas and also horror with, with Scream and I Know What You Love Summer. And so, yeah. 
there. You can see my tastes are very eclectic. That's yeah. I work in reality. I've learned so much about you just in the last two minutes by well, what your favorite shows well, are. You start jamming it in. All honestly, I I live for television. I was raised in front of the television. I'm an only child. So um, TV was like my sibling. I always say yes. like, that's who I had conversations with. That's who I learned from like referencing Full House. I still haven't smoked a cigarette to this day because of Stephanie Tanner's <laughs> whole saga with, with cigarettes. Um, yes. So I, I really love television and I feel yeah. lucky that I get to be part of creating some. Yeah. Well, I never did uppers because Jesse Spano uh, had so the whole, yeah, because she, yeah, I, that's why I never tried uppers because of Jesse Spano. So. I didn't even take in what she was doing at that time. Because <laughs> that was a while. I actually just rewatched that episode recently. Um, uh, right after the reboot, I watched that episode. It's wild. I don't uh, believe you though. That is why you avoided it. I think you were teasing, but <laughs> I like yes. the reference. Yes, but right? I'm, I'm joking. Yes, but I similar to you. Yes, I was that generation that grew up like really with amazing sitcoms and some great, you know, that the nineties were just filled with incredible television. So, you know, I was now there's a resurgence, right? Like nostalgia is king and how people feel comforted by their programming. So I think leaning into that lane that, that raised us is, is purposeful for our future endeavors. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and this was a lot of fun. No, thank you so much for having me. This is my very first podcast. I feel very trendy since like, isn't that what cool kids listen to podcasts? Like I feel (laughs) cooler from being a part of this. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to chat with you on this. It's really fun. That's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network. For everybody listening, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you've got a question, shoot it over to me via email, no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.